Hey y'all, welcome to another episode of Stush and Bush. A Caribbean podcast on Caribbean happenings, overall mix-up, and blend-blend with a queer twist. With a queer twist. Robert, I miss you. Stush and I Bush. I did not miss you. Oh, I did not miss you. Know, you. Oh, Jesus. This is Even the first we time we're day. kind of talking since the day started, but it's all right. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> <laughs> Stush and Bush is for the Honorable Marion Hall, who after that they clash with Bounty and Beanie just nap you with no mind. As people are filling up her mentions to come do a nice little crash with Spice. Let me see it. Listen. You see it? I'm not going to comment on putting a uh, uh, lady saw against Spice. I'm not going to touch it. I'm not going to touch it. But what I will say You're is Uno need to leave Evangelist Hall alone. Okay? Because <laughs> she is here doing the Lord's work and she don't want this business anymore. Lord, okay. The Lord Nagamine. He's alright. He's alright. You sure? He, if she come out and do a nice little, a nice little tune or something, we're not nice. However, like, I made this one video recently with her just doing like a nice little, nice little Holy Ghost rap. Or, I don't want to call it rap. Oh my gosh. But li- little verse. You understand? And it was just so similar to, um, just like the clashing scene like so it's, it, it was really beautiful to see that and obviously it brought up the question which i tweeted about boho like the relationship between dancehall and jamaican christianity and who then this amazing person come respond to it but we soon get into that right but yeah I, um, they're not gonna mind they're not gonna mind. i don't know you I, what a topic <laughs> The connection between dance hall and Jamaican Christianity. Another thing that I don't want to touch. But you know what? Since we're talking about Christianity, mm-hmm. let's also finally, mm-hmm. after about 10, 15, 11 episodes, mm-hmm. define what some might call as the antithesis of Christianity, the spiritual wickedness and the enemy, which is Obia. Mm. Finally. Finally. Cause Robert, you didn't know say um you did plan the that episode you're from season one. You did promise the people from season one, you know? So um Wagwan, how come you just a reach? You know, <clears throat> I believe that everything should unfold in due time. Mm. And this is just the appointed time for us to be discussing Obia. Mm. Okay? I promised it to them. In season one, I promised it to them in season two. And what we don't know is it probably never happened. It never did ever happen. But you know what? We made it manifest today. And I think that we could probably do this again, as with all of our episodes. <laughs> because <laughs> Obia is a wellspring of Jamaican knowledge that we need to be diving into. Mm-hmm. And because I think it is so important for us. To discuss Obia today, I'm going to give Uno something for Niam from my own hand, right? Ooh. Yes, yeah. Oh, did she oh, yeah. like this? Uno, I got tears from on today. So, first of all, don't judge me because I wrote this a while ago. Has my writing changed? I sure to God hope so. Uh, but anyway, this is an excerpt from a paper that I wrote entitled Enslaved Agencies An Examination of Slave Women. Uh, enslaved women, their oppression and disenthrallment in mm. colonial Jamaica. Back in them days, they were when they won Google some synonyms. They were mm, disenthrallment. disenthrallment. I like this word. Mm. 
Come on, shoot Any us arrows. <laughs> <laughs> Say that again, bitch. Come shoot us arrows. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, I, you know what? <laughs> wow. One more time. One more time. <laughs> Robert, love me a bit of arrows. Jesus. Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> that was that 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 was new. I'm I'm so fresh that I'm going to have to put that right next to Manapali because wow. <laughs> okay. Anywho, something for them. Yes. Oftentimes dismissed because of its pseudo-religious European conceptualization, Obia has taken on a myriad of forms acting in the line of momentary enslaved disenthrallment. The social capital possessed by healers in African communities positioned Obia workers as natural leaders that manifested in the form of communal, liberatory healing, community engagement, and in some instances, rebellion against the planter class. In 1760, Taki's Rebellion brought together enslaved persons in Jamaica, led by Obia workers, to rise up against the colonial slave-owning class. Lasting a year, colonial Jamaica saw a shift in power as enslaved bodies worked together to be disenthralled from the bondage of slavery. This rebellion in conjunction with the string of poisonings that occurred over the year of chaos was orchestrated by Obia men and Obia women, but was almost always carried out by enslaved women. Looking at the ease of access some women had to the households of their slave owners, it was not uncommon for a woman to poison her master, if not his entire family, livestock, and field workers. In some instances, women looked to Obia uh, women looked to the Obia petitioners to provide them with poisonous materials and would use them to even kill the so-called kind and benevolent slave owners. She continues to state that ethnocentric anti-Obia chronicles further charged Obia practitioners with brainwashing weak and deluded and superstitious Negroes into rebelling against slavery. No one could escape the wrath of enslaved population in Jamaica, even when the masters they served were kinder than the rest. The string of poisoning sent the colonial planting class into a tirade on the appropriate response that would quench the slave rebellions that launched them into hypervigilance. White hysteria amplified among the Jamaican planter class when word of the Haitian Revolution appeared to inspire rebellion in Jamaica happened as well. Neglecting the pseudo-religion proved to be a grave mistake on the part of the colonial organizers, and the events of the Taki Rebellion pushed the legislative body to respond in duress. Midon. You done? Midon. That was a little long, but it's fine. <laughs> because I wanted to include another paragraph that would add some more context, and the issue is that once you add the other paragraph, you have to keep going because you can't just isolate a piece of text because you know how everything's connected when you write things. Mm -hmm. I'll be a part okay, two. Robert just reading a ten-page paper. That's it. It was fifteen. Thank you. <laughs> uh, um, I am going to resist mm. trying to unpack the Sutton piece as we typically do mm -hmm. because today, yet again, 
we have an esteemed guest with us praise who is also going to sit here and unpack all the things related to the obvious yeah? mm-hmm. who we have today kadim we have Javante Anderson. No, claps. If I had a drum roll or if I were in the studio, I would do the pot cover. <gasps> Yo, <laughs> as a matter of fact, people, you know, say, me have studio, but I do a pot cover something. Anyway, we, today we have Javante Anderson who Hi. will be joining us. Hi, Javante. How are you? I'm good, you know, as well as. I can be under the current circumstances. Right. I feel like what current circumstances? <laughs> I have I what there's life is great. What are you talking about? <laughs> life is great? What's life that? is amazing. I love Six, your constant state. Sixty of odd days under captivity. Um, Ooh. Oh Jesus! I, I don't know. Child. Child. I don't feel so great. It it it's not pretty. It's not pretty. The one thing we have saved me, I just look at the TikTok challenge them sometime. Look here. <laughs> they're, they're super interesting. But anyway, but we're here, Javante. Um, you are an amazing individual. Like, I remember, I actually, I'm not even my own meet you, but Jav- ah, I met you to a mutual friend, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, Javante is an amazing scholar at the University of Miami, a PhD student uh, studying English literature. Um, and I'm not going to introduce you so much because I know we're going to talk about this and we're going to ask you all the questions and then we're going to get into the Obia piece. But um, it's just a pleasure having you and I'm really excited to get to delve into this cute little episode that we're going to have here. Um, yeah, so let's just get into it. Right? Let's yeah. get into it. Period. Javante, who the fuck are you? Uh, well, um, that's a big question. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I guess I should know since I, I'm old enough to. But <laughs> I'm, um, I'm a grad student. Um, I am a student, PhD student in the English department at the University of Miami. I'm studying my, my areas of concentration, Caribbean studies, um, gender and sexuality studies, queer studies. Um, yeah, and I'm also really, really interested in Jamaica, queerness in Jamaica. And hopefully that's what my dissertation will be about. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm uh, <laughs> going to say. Well, you're you have the choice. Uh, we'll see where my mind is in three years, four years' time. Hopefully, it is still with me. Fear point. But, uh, <laughs> Listen, I will never forget the day I heard this Jamaican preacher say that PhDs stand for permanent head damage. So, me, I pray for you, yeah? <laughs> see, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Ooh, so, you know, could we queer that a little bit? Because uh, permanent head damage sounds a little... Uh, Sounds like an adventure I'd want to be on, TBH. Oh, it it be like, very like serious. damage, no. Not sure. <laughs> <laughs> like, period. Come my head always like damage for the people there, ma. Yeah, <laughs> damage. Period. Period, that's it. Um, but yeah, so like, any anything else you want to share about yourself before we get um, into it? Not really. Um, I'm very interested in this conversation. Um, I've always been very very um kind of uh, 
<laughs> fixated on obia but just jamaican spiritualities in general <coughs> uh, more so obia because of the kind of stories that run in my family which i know we probably will talk about at some point um, mm-hmm. we love the storytelling <laughs> yeah we probably all have stories but yeah that's what really got me interested um and i'm very interested in the kinds of ways in which you know we kind of like to create create um clean i'm sorry clean lines between um, spiritual and religious practices, but in Jamaica, that is very difficult to do. Mm. So I'm always interested in the ways that lines are being transgressed and crossed and things are mixing up as it, it is, you know, want to do in the Caribbean. So, yeah. So it's interesting that you said that it happens in Jamaica. I wonder, right, how that might translate over to the diaspora. Um, and, you know, thinking about sort of like folks in my quote-unquote uh, cohort uh, that uh, really do want to draw clean lines between uh, religion and spirituality and, and folks identifying as more spiritual than religious, I think that uh, there is sort of like some combination of like factors that moves uh, from the Caribbean over into the Caribbean diaspora. And, like I imagine that trying to grapple with the complexities of a religious and spiritual identification and then also uh, Jamaica's history with Obia is, is a complicated task to do. Mm. Um, yeah, but I, I think that... No, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just saying I agree with you. And I think even when we take the diaspora into consideration, I think it becomes even more complex because obia is something as you know we'll come to talk about um that it 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 is constantly shifting and has constantly shifted so i appreciate that you you brought the diaspora into the conversation because that is something we also need to talk about you know the ways that um even as these practices are kind of transported across spaces they're also changing and they're moving and they're becoming dynamic and so what might be considered obia in Jamaica might not be in the diaspora and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I appreciate that um, interjection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I suppose like the first place that we want to start with is what exactly is <laughs> obia? Mm-hmm. If we could like put a little, well, I was going to say put a little one-liner, but you can't put a one-liner on shit. So why why try to start here? Um, I, I think that Obia, for me, sort of like has like these three areas that I sort of like want to think about. Uh, one of them being like, what is the idea surrounding Obia? And then maybe a little bit about, like, what the act of Obia is itself. And then who is doing Obia? (laughs) Um, And I think heavy emphasis on doing, because I think that there is a very interesting active piece about Obia uh, that I don't know if we probably have the answer to, but, like, we have to to get there first. How are you defining Obia? Mm -hmm. That's a great question, and I think it is one that scholars have been trying to answer for as long as Obia has existed, um, you know, and as long as it has been a part of um, the kind of landscape of the plantation and beyond. 
but you know the, the kind of general consensus to know about what obia is is that it is difficult to define you know there's mm-hmm. a reason for example why we know about um why we can we can study obia today and it's not just because the practices have been passed down but we we know about obia because of the ways that it has entered into the archive of the powerful right and, and mm-hmm. how it enters into the archive of the powerful is through criminality mm-hmm. through its criminalization um, and so what we know of it is uh, always going to be limited by how it has been read by the colonizers right how they have read obia how they understand it and because of that right then how obia becomes defined is also shaped by their perceptions it, it isn't just um, it, it, it can never just be defined by how those who are practicing it define it, right? It is always going to be this nebulous thing that changes from moment to moment, right? And you'll see that from as early as before the Taki Rebellion, which I'm glad you brought up before that, nobody in the colonies really cared about Obia. Nobody, they were mm-hmm. just like, you know, this is just some black people thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know they're just being stupid it's, it's fine we don't have to pay attention to this foolishness mm. um, and so Obia was just this thing that they thought that they didn't, they didn't really necessarily believe that it was true because at the same at the time you know witchcraft had just been um, in Europe had just been kind of banned because they were coming out of the, the, the period in which, you know, there was a burning of the witches and the kind of, mm-hmm. you, you, you know, that period in time where witches were, and, and witchcraft was legally banned, right? And mm-hmm. then it was taken off the books completely, right? Because for them, to have a, to have a law against witchcraft is to affirm that it, it actually exists. And so for them, they were like, let's just take it off the books completely because it doesn't exist. And so let's just, just, let's just stop talking about it. And so that's the mm-hmm. same perception they had of this practice or these set of practices that were coming from many different places. It was coming from many different groups of, of African peoples, N- not just one. The Koromanti is one of the, or the Akan is one of the, the, mm. the, the predominant groups, but there are other groups as well. Um, and so that is how initially they came to understand Obia, right? But after the Taki Rebellion, things changed because they started to realize that um, what happened during the Taki Rebellion was that here were these slaves who were galvanized by um, Obia, who were galvanized by an Obia man who gave them protection Mm, mm -hmm. and told them that they were to go out and kill all white men, women and children. And so Obia, after the Taki Rebellion, wasn't just something that um, was mystical for them. It, it, it really never had that element for those who were in power. It was more so something that could, that had the possibility of um, kind of galvanizing slaves and inciting rebellion. So it was always this thing where that those in power saw it as not necessarily something that was legitimate. They didn't see it as legitimate spiritual power, right? They, even, even when they thought of it as something that would incite rebellion, they always at the same time thought of it as, as, a fact, as something that only had power over slaves because the slaves' minds were weak. And so because the slaves' minds were weak, 
um, after the Taki rebellion, after the seriousness of how Taki and his troops erupted and disrupted um, the Jamaican colonial order, they were like, okay, we have to set a law in place in 1760 to ban this thing. And that's the first time it comes into um, the word Obia um, kind of enters the legal um, landscape, right? The, the, the first time the word actually appears comes from a, somebody who is also a, a, a kind of colonial administrator who mm. encounters Nani, right? Nani is the first time the word Obia is used. And the first time they saw her, you know, they were like, here is this old, um, I'm forgetting the exact words that they use, but basically here is this old Obia woman um, who, the, who these people look up to and who these people are galvanized by. Mm -hmm. uh, but that was before Taki, and nobody really took it seriously. But after Taki is when it actually entered into the legal landscape. And so because of that, what has followed for these many, you know, however many centuries, is Obia being nebulous, being always open and susceptible to the definition of the law, right? So at some point, you have revivalists being defined as Obia of men and women. Mm -hmm. You have different, various spiritual practices being defined as well. Even Obia men and women will tell you various things, and some of them won't even define themselves as such because of the connotations of the word itself. Um, they will define themselves as, as, uh, as um, what do I say again? They might work science, right? Science. Are, they right, science, science man, or... Um, <clears throat> Mm -hmm. Astrologists. <laughs> exactly. The Marie exactly. de Stars. Exactly, right. So it is very difficult to define, and I think I find that very productive because, in that elusive nature, you know, there's something that it is challenging us to do and to think about um, our, our constant desire to want to categorize and fix. Right? which is something that we've inherited from colonialism. This constant desire to want to name, categorize, fix, put in a particular order of what it is. But Obia completely frustrates that. Mm -hmm. It says, I am going to change today, tomorrow, next week, depending on who is defining me, sorry, who is in power and defining me and who is practicing me. Um, and so I, I, that was a very long answer. <laughs> but as you, as you predicted... But um, yeah, Obia is it is a difficult thing to define because it is it is as as Diana Patton, who is a scholar of it of, of Obia, tells us, it is a thing that emerges between the practices of those who you know um, engage in it, as well as those who are in power, mm -hmm. who come to define um, or try to define what Obia is. So so mm. that, that's that's it. If Obia was a question, it would be, what do you know about me? Come on! It really would. Like, my girl, what do you know about me? Because like, you figure out one thing, and I think even in preparing for this episode, and and even just in my life, like, the the... Obia piece has just always been like a, I'm constantly learning and and seeing how folks are interacting with Obia both in like a historical sense and like defining what it is um, because like and I mean many of us can relate to the fact that Obia the difference that 
the definition that we received about Obia for many of us is that it is the exact opposite of Christianity in that mm. it is black magic and it is evil and etc etc mm-hmm. and like that's the definition you get right and that's sort of like how well again for many how we live um, with Obia in many of our presents and especially growing up like my whole piece was like this your uncle they make Obia panem or this and that and that and the third even when I was talking to Family, Mr. Grandpa, we don't know about Obia. It is the opposite of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. I, 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 mm-hmm. I think your definition really, really asks the question, my girl, you know about me. Because, like, mm-hmm. it, it, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's a very interesting and that was a very great uh, definition. Like, thanks. I um, almost have to resist <laughs> commenting on uh, your, your, your terming of the archive as the archive of the powerful. Um, mm-hmm. Because you're, you're tapping on a very specific discourse about how uh, I carvel how wow that was the pronunciation how archival materials uh, and the, and the archives themselves are constructed and collected and sort of like uh, looked at poked prod and defined so for people who are interested in it just know that like the politics of an archive and like all that goes into it is a, like a line of, of question that goes on there but I think it it gives us an interesting piece to look at in that it's possible to uh, look at uh, Obia as an idea, mm-hmm. Obia as an act, because uh, mm-hmm. through the production of archives, we're able to look at that. But when it comes to trying to like define what Obia the practitioner is, I find it kind of hard to like look mm-hmm. to sources to to pinpoint what it looks like, right? So mm-hmm. you mentioned the science man, uh, the the astrologer, right? The obia man, the obia woman, right? These are people who are sort of like uh, only entering into the archives and then by proxy entering into scholarship because, you know, somebody find them mm-hmm. and, <clears throat> and, you know, something happened and something happened, you know, and, and then they land up in this court, right? So mm-hmm. they, they become legible in court documents. But the piece that always sort of like has left me questioning, and, and I've seen it across uh, a lot of the Afrosyncratic faith systems that we are going to touch on, is that there's like a very active piece in Obia, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, practitioners uh, who are there are always said to be working the obia, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Or to, uh, or, well, yeah, to work the obia, and then in uh, the Spanish, don't trust me out, please, because my Spanish is not good again, to do a, tra- uh, a trabajo, right? To do a work, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. 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 Because <laughs> bitch, I was, bitch, I was going, I I was trying to remember how to conjugate trabajar, okay. We never oh. remember how to do it, okay. Thank you. Anywho, <clears throat> a trabajo, all right. Well, oh, that says I work trabajo. Hush your blood clot. <laughs> okay, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Okay. Me done. Me done. Me done. My language in school was French, and even that me can't speak. Anyhow, <laughs> so. Um, why is it so active? It's never passive. Like, 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 what is it about, like, the, the, the act of working the Obia mm-hmm. <laughs> that, mm-hmm. that, like, mm-hmm. has lasted the test of time? But I, when I hear the, 
word work and when I hear workopia, I can't help but think about the language of capitalism, um, the language of value, um, because, you know, the term work, especially when we think about blackness and we think about the enslaved and even beyond um, slavery, post-emancipation, when we think about um, those moments, work becomes a way to legitimize the enslaved and to legitimize um, black folks, uh, even after slavery, as doing something that is valuable, as doing something that can mark them in a particular human way, right? Mm. Because, of course, there's, a, there's this whole understanding that we, we are lazy, that mm. we are backwards, etc., etc. So when I hear the term work, obia, I'm thinking about the ways in which people might be trying to incorporate obia as a spiritual practice into the general economy. Um, mm. as, a, as a kind of not something that is distorted or disconnected from the real or what we think is real right but a part of everything else right I go to work um, mm-hmm. and I might be a, a, a doctor or I might be an engineer but I me work obia right um, and so I am not I am not and I cannot be separated from the world in which I'm living and what I am doing cannot be separated from the world in which I'm living. Um, and so b- by working Obia, I am situating myself um, within the language that I understand to be the world in which I'm living. So that's what I hear when I hear work. I hear a kind of um, a capitalist, um, which is not to say, you know, you know um, that Obia men and women are capitalists, but I hear them using that language to kind of create value around what they do um, and around how they do it. That's what I hear. But I'd be interested to hear what y'all think. Um, as I said, I don't have the answer for that particular question. Well, you know what? That's the answer. Period. <laughs> That's it. I mean, it it makes sense, right? Or not even it, it makes sense. Well, of course it makes sense. But I think that the... <clears throat> The active piece around work has been solidified, especially in recent history, thinking about how uh, movements have been made, as we referenced earlier, to have um, uh, in the census uh, that uh, the Obia men would be classified under astrologers and under mm-hmm. science ministers, so, like they have mm-hmm. an occupation to tick. Mm-hmm. And then also thinking about fee for service. If I'm out here, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. Giving you the good work, sis. Where my money there? Exactly, exactly. Because even from its from its um inception or even um close following that, you had to pay the open mm-hmm. man and woman. You mm-hmm. had to. So it was work. It was mm-hmm. always work. Right. I mean, you know, <clears throat> I wonder. Well. I wonder a lot of things, <laughs> but, you know, sort of like seeing Taki's Rebellion as not necessarily the the way in which Obia was put on the map in the way that some might take it as, but more so Taki's Rebellion putting on the map the idea that uh, Obia workers can serve as sort of a communal catalysts mm-hmm. for free, <laughs> sort of like mm-hmm. in like a, a revolutionary capacity while also still having uh, hold or control over uh, pay me, bitch, because mm-hmm. I'm out here, you know, uh, solidifying your marriage, you know? Mm-hmm. Or you have food to eat. Or... Winning your court case. 
Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, like, you pay for all those things. You need that. It's an additional thing that you tack on there. So, yes, you can cash at me immediately <laughs> at Caribbean. I'm all- <laughs> at Caribbean. Nice plug. I'm also yeah. thinking about, like, the language that a lot of community organizers use here and now when doing, like, liberation work. Um, and, like, uh, that the there's always, like, this this uh piece around like working as well like oh i'm working mm-hmm. towards or i'm working on uh this this thing or for example i'm working to organize whatever whatever like uh, there's this piece where like i think work has just been used in so many different uh aspects of liberation that i mm-hmm. makes me want to trace uh that word's relationship to mm-hmm. um the the act of liberating oneself or mm-hmm. um um one's community it's like oh I, I also think about like I'm unpacking something like oh let's unpack that or like <coughs> mm-hmm. doing the work to do that I, I don't know like there is just like a there's a thing around around working and liberation that makes me yeah. question like that word's relationship to 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 sort of like the tacky rebellion and the the, the desire for liberation etc that may have influenced that sort of like Phrasing around me, I walk or something like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Things to think I about, mean, you know. We've also sort of like landed uh, in the the law section, and, and I think mm-hmm. just to sort of like uh, <clears throat> wrap it up in this area, I think we should introduce the Obia Act of eighteen ninety eight. Um, yes. The quick and dirty version. Yes. Yes, yes. Quick and dirty version is essentially it criminalizes the person who's doing the obia regardless of the intention, right? So, I mean, I think regardless of intention is an important distinction because, you know, thinking about criminality, negative intention or positive intention doesn't stop you from, you know, sort of like being put into the court system. And you can do so without a warrant, right? And I think the without a warrant piece is also really important. And not only does it criminalize the person regardless of intention, but it criminalizes the objects used for work in the obia. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And I want to focus on this because for people who were with us uh, last week when we were talking about motherhood, last week, last episode, you know, time. Honestly. A time ago. Um... Right, Nicole Dennis Ben has a section in the book Patsy where she's talking about this woman who has had a miscarriage for a few times and her sisters come and they give her this satchel and they're like, the satchel having, you know, something there, I think it had in garlic or onion or one or the other. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the sister was like, okay, you can only wear it here. Don't wear it next to your heart. Make sure you're not thinking of like. They, they give parameters over that satchel. That satchel that, you know, she gets to sort of, like, ward off the obia that uh, Patsy was apparently working on her is still criminal to this day, you know? The law's still there. So it is an issue, I suppose, for some people, right, that the law still exists on the book to this day, and sort of, like, how we see uh, the Obia Act of 1898 and its criminalization of an object used to work the Obia um, 
present in a story that's being written by contemporary uh, Caribbean authors, that's an important thing to note, right? I don't think that we were thinking about, or I don't think that people were thinking about seeing this satchel and connecting it to Obia, and then connecting Obia to criminality, right? Like, we just see it in the story as somebody, maybe did a word Obia on our, and she had a miscarriage, mm-hmm. right? But there's one piece that I said that we were going to talk about here, aside from the fact that you can be imprisoned and have hard labor mm-hmm. for up to 12 months or to pay a 50-pound fee. I want to know how much 50 pounds cost now, but I'm not going to touch it. Uh, the without a warrant section mm-hmm. makes me think about the function of gossip in determining who gets labeled and exposed as an OBM man, Right. If you're successful in working the OBIA, do you get more protection or silence among your community? And I'm thinking sort of like historically in, in uh, this uh, aspect. And then subsequently, if you fail, are you more susceptible to being exposed because of your failure to work the OBIA, right? I would also ask if, if you have done it successfully, um, have you does that also put you in like the eyes of the police force or the in back in those days the magistrate magistrate court mm-hmm. um that like oh this person is doing this well um therefore we need to ensure that like we're 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 we're, we're capping that right like i i think it, that it also brings up that question right i mean there we know for anyone who's sort of like looking at obia uh, around the time of Taki's Rebellion and even before, knows that uh, plantation owners were aware of the Obia workers and also went to them themselves to either mm-hmm. bless the land, release the curse in the land, whatever, right? You get that notoriety and it's helping you, but like once it becomes criminal, and we know... <laughs> how gossip works in the Caribbean. And we know how people love sit on the veranda and chat people business. How does that all factor into this, right? Like, I can't... Like, I cannot get out of my mind since, like, there is a parallel that we can see between sort of, like, European witchcraft and its criminalization and then also Jamaican Obia and its criminalization. If Goody Proctor for all you girls who read The Crucible, if Goody Proctor <laughs> sits there and is, you know, making her little medicine for your child who has a fever and your child dies, best believe that bitch going to the hangar right now. Mm-hmm. Like, right now, right now, right now. Mm-hmm. But if Goody Proctor sit there and, you know, she put extra ginger root, you know, in her little concoction to go get little Jimmy, and Jimmy make it true, and they're dead... I think Goody Proctor had protection up until a certain extent. I wonder if the same thing sort of exists in Jamaica after the act of uh, 1898. A question I may ask. Yeah, that's a great question. And I think people were so afraid because, of course, as you have um, pointed out, the law is so ambiguous, right, that it could easily take into um, its grasp the people who are actually soliciting this the service right mm-hmm. um, and so you know I, I, people even even when for the most part when Obia wasn't successful people were not um, very quick to go to the, the, the law because they were afraid of also being kind of caught up in this this um, 
in, the, in problems with the law. Mm-hmm. But there were, <laughs> there were people who were sent by the law um, otherwise to infiltrate um, and to, you know, uh, to, to basically get a sense of what is happening on the premises, um, all of that. And, I mean, there were, there were a few cases where, and, and this is a true story of um, a woman who, I think this happened in the 18th century, it, it definitely was the 18th century, um, and, but scholars, you know, they dispute whether or not this has actually happened. But it is, for the most part, recounted as a true story um, of a planter who had gone away to Britain and he kept hearing that his slaves were dying for years. Um, people were just, for months, sorry, people were just dying, dropping dead. And the slaves were saying that it was because somebody on the plantation was doing work in Obia. Mm. Um, uh, but they couldn't find who who this person was because nobody would open them out. Nobody would say anything about who they think this person is. <laughs> and it's one person, one enslaved woman on her deathbed because she knows she's going dead. So she knew there would be no, <laughs> 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 there would be no repercussions. She told the planters that is her stepmother that was working the obia i'm fucking screaming yeah and so that is what happened she they went to her um they went to the hut and they found all all manner of things they found Mm -hmm. bones of cats they found plant dead plants they found lizard Mm -hmm. bones all uh, everything you you can you could imagine but they didn't they didn't kill her they didn't um punish her even um in the in the kind of violent way that they they usually would um, they just they transported her to Cuba, um, which mm. is a punishment of its own. But yeah, they transported her to Cuba. Yeah. So you had more you had more moments like those where the you know people were <laughs> people were at the only at the very last, or they would not um, readily give this information up because they were so afraid one of the law, but also of the obia woman or man and what they the potential that they had to harm them mm-hmm. so you know i think that's another thing we should talk about at some point too the fact that you know there's a way in which and that is something that um kind of happened in our move to decolonize jamaica that when we look back at obia we try to reclaim it and you know it is something to be reclaimed to some extent because it is it has a um you know, incited a lot of rebellion, a lot of um, uh, of rupturing and disruption of the colonial order. But at the same time, it it created a hierarchy among slaves, right? And so people were afraid of these obia men and women. They were afraid to go about their daily lives and to do mm-hmm. things. Um, I mean, they were already afraid. They were living on a plantation, but. Um, Obia men and women were feared. They were feared, not just respected, mm. um, but feared. Um, and, and that kind of fear was not a not, no revolutionary kind of fear. You know, it was sometimes used against the people. Um, which you know, in the case of this woman, she was just killing everybody. It's not clear why she was doing that, <laughs> but she was just killing people. Um, Somebody mashed her car in the field one day. She said, "You know what? That's it. It's over. That's it. Let me let me go get this dirt yeah. and this woman, this southern girl. It's over for you. It's over by everybody involved." Yeah, yeah. I I feel I, I I I hear that, and I feel like there are still. Like remnants of that fear, you know. Mm-hmm. I think when, mm. when um, 
I, I mean, I, I alluded to this earlier, but when I was sort of growing up and my relationship to Obia, um, in that it was like, the, the one story we would always get is, um, it, 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 it wasn't just always like, don't do Obia, Obia is bad, or don't even like be curious enough to pursue Obia, um, because Obia sort of like stood as this oppositional piece to Christianity. So it's just like, in order for you to be a good Christian boy, is what I would be told, mm. um, you, you, you have to make sure that like, that's something that you don't even consider. That needs to be out of the way because it's evil magic and it's evil spirit. Um, and then the anecdotal evidence of that comes with, look at what happened to your grand uncle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, well, I remember like the story I got was like, when uh, my two grand uncles were starting school, uh, for the first time in in um the Maga primary school or whatever. On their first day of school, um somebody woke Obi upon on their Ooh. father, my great grandfather, um, but it backfired and it affected the 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 kids, my which is mm. my granduncle. Um and, and my granduncle has what uncles have uh what some people would call like some skin issues where like part like like part of their i don't even know honestly i don't even know what it's called because like the story we got was somebody woke obia one bug land pan fierce and snapped them out their flesh like that that was the the piece that i i'm not lying like that's the story that i got but like we know that and and not not discounting it low-key but 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 definitely saying that like folks wouldn't interpret it as such but like it that was the story that was sort of used at piece to say like this is why we can't do this kadeem like this is dark magic like it is Mm. it is evil so i just think that there i mean the remnants of fear permeates in so many different ways Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. either through storytelling or uh in relationship to christianity or whatever Mm -hmm. you know it's Mm -hmm. it's it's interesting how that how that fear is always there um but that respect somehow has gone away i think i think that's an excellent point you're making distinguishing because i I don't feel we do that enough you know i I feel Mm. like especially again in the period after decolonization when it becomes very popular to celebrate obia any kind of fear of obia is always marked as a fear that is um kind of uh, you know somebody who is colonized has a colonized quote-unquote colonized Mm. mindset whatever that is Mm -hmm. um you know but there's also another kind of fear that you are you're you're pulling out here uh, and i think you know that's a fear that has to do with acknowledgement that this thing is real you know it is not somebody who believes that it is fake or that it is um some made up pretentious thing that people are are drawing on right mm-hmm. it is this thing is real it is material it lives in the world um as opposed to you know colonizers who um after a certain point were like yeah this thing is just in their minds you know what i mean so I, I, i'm glad you draw that you drew that point out mm. yeah. i mean i picked up on a little bit of shade that you had in there javante <laughs> <laughs> was like the colonized mind whatever that means so i'm like who's out here you know <laughs> trying to drop somewhere and you're like bitch that's not even it like i i picked up on that but you know what's also coming up for me too I, listen i listen i just have to call it out okay because you know, Javante talked nice to Ono, right? Javante talked nice and just wanted to put a read. 
But <laughs> what comes up for me in this too, right, about that fear is that I think that one version of fear that, that uh, you know, Javante was alluding to and Kadeem was alluding to uh, gets documented in uh, the archive, right? Mm-hmm. Then, and, and, and like that's what people who have no connection to the Caribbean or loose connection to the Caribbean will look to to sort of like craft a version of the Caribbean for themselves. The fear that I think, similar to the fear of God and, and like and how it operates that way, is not something that is necessarily sort of like trapped in the archives. Um, and it reminds me of this story about reminding us uh, collectively how uh, we are supposed to fear Obiaman, right? Mm. So I heard this story in church, Minago Kalarnium, <laughs> on like last wisdom time. again. <laughs> No, not bad with this. Miss Wisdom! No. Mother Wisdom! Yeah, Mother yeah, Wisdom! Um, you can't. Miss Mother Wisdom, have some, have some, well, it's in her name. I was just about to say, Mother Wisdom, have some knowledge. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, have, yeah. Listen, I'm changing her name to Mother Wisdom. <laughs> in your phone, I'm going to do it. So, next thing I got, Mother Wisdom. But I'm, um, no, but I'm a wisdom friend uh, who was telling this story uh, uh, one day after church. So she said that there were some boys who were hanging around in Jamaica around this place. They were in their yard. No, they're in the street. And it had some bush that was locked up in a fence. And the Obian man was walking by and said something over one bottle of cream soda. And dash the cream soda in the bush. <clears throat> and they picking it in, you know, being <gasps> they did how, how, how they are. Well, they're jousting at one another to go see who's going to, you know, go and go pick up the bottle of cream soda. And the one, <laughs> the, as they say, the body's cock decide that he was going to go inside the bush, get the bottle of cream soda, come out and drink it. Mm. And everybody said that that boy did stink, 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 stink till him dead. Right? Wow. <laughs> and yes. it was because, one, he didn't have that fear of the Obia man, right? As in, like, sort of like the power of the Obia man and his capabilities had become too commonplace that he said, you know what? You bad, me bad too. <laughs> and I really do believe that sort of like in this story, right? Like the, the Obia wasn't intended for the boy, but might have been sort of like a part of, okay, now that I'm done with this cream soda, I have to dispose of it and you dispose of it in that way. I think it comes up this way as well, you know, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. being reminded of that sense of fear, which sense of fear slash sense of awe, I think might be, a, a, you know, mm-hmm. another appropriate term to use here that we forget about. And, you know, y'all have been talking about this connection between Obia and Christianity to be very clear or sort of like basic <laughs> with it, considering uh, the history of Jamaica and colonization and conquest and sort of like how uh, religion is overlaid onto islands as a part of the colonizing project. 
we arrive with Christianity at the end. Um, and that becomes in contention with Obia, this other thing that sort of, you know, is existing in this space by enslaved Africans. And to sort of like jump to present day, why is, you know, Obia seen as the antithesis of Christianity? It's because in Jamaica, but then also more broadly, iniquity or iniquity is linked to Obia. Especially given the Christian Bible-based notion of spiritual warfare. And uno who reads the Bible will recall Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12. For we wrestle Praise. not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness, in high places, right? <laughs> what I hear here is all them Wobia work out a road to watch out. Could the Christians come in for them? As I'm here, this is yeah. what I'm hearing. Workers are inequity, oh, no, better watch out. Oh. Yes, yes, and, and, and that is something that has been a part of the perception of Wobia from, you know, I, I can't even say how long, but for as long, um, as it has existed in the legal language, mm -hmm. you know, there, and, and I should have said earlier, there were always two branches of colonizers or colonial administrators. There was a branch that believed that it was all made up and that because, you know, they used to believe black people were so susceptible to believing every little thing, so naive that they believed this thing to be true. And then there was the other <laughs> um, arm of colonial administrators who, just like what you're emphasizing here, mm -hmm. believed it to be <coughs> magic and evil um, and, and, and all the principalities of darkness that you can mm -hmm. imagine. Um, and so, you know, you had these two different arms of colonial administrators. Even as, even as much as they diverged in how they understood Obia, championing Christianity, um, championing it as something that was a, a part of their civilizing project. And so for them, especially the ones who didn't believe that it was a real thing, they believed that if we continue to just, you know, turn these people into Christians, then right. Jamaica is going to become more civilized. Obia was seen as the marker of, of Africanness. Um, in mm. the colony uh, as the ultimate marker of Africanness and Christianity was seen as a kind of like civilizational apex, you know, and so the movement towards Christianity was always seen as, okay, um, the, 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 the colony is becoming more civilized. But as you also point out, <laughs> that is not what happened, right? Mm -hmm. We have the mixing and the blending happening, the coming together. You know, I can think of my own um, stories. I can't. I also have to um, use anonymity in the text. <laughs> <laughs> you want, right, who you want? You want Miss Fiat or you want Miss Miss Ivan? Who you want? Uh, I'm say Auntie Fiat because it's within right. my family. Go on. But, yeah, <laughs> and they're still alive. Everybody's still alive. Right. But uh, yes, Auntie Fiat was not well last last um christmas she wasn't so well um and i was home with her i'm the only one that could have stayed with her because everybody was up and it's christmas so you know nobody's home mm -hmm. i'm the only one i'm a i'm a grad student my I, my christmas christmas is my downtime my break so i'm there with her mm -hmm. the entire time 
um, she has a problem with her foot and you know she just it was really bad the doctors couldn't, they couldn't figure out how to fix it um, and they eventually did but at that point they couldn't figure out how to fix it and so I was home with her um, and next door lives Auntie Faith's sister also my, my auntie and her cousin who you know was visiting from new york so it's three of them and they're in the same generation in their 60s and 70s very devout christian women <laughs> all mm. three of them you know um but you they also are very what i call syncretic in their mm. spiritual beliefs and practices mm-hmm. um and this is something that the family has always hush hushed you know nobody wants to talk about it but it is there you know, even when they started to the, the, the build their, their my my two aunts built their houses beside each other, they they did the, the ritual of cutting the chicken head, sprinkling the blood all over the house. Oh, really? That's working, girl. That's working. Yeah. Working. You sprinkle the blood, especially if you're building a new house. You want to invite the good spirits in. So that you know, at the end of at the um, end of the construction, the house don't collapse or nothing bad happens, especially to the people who are constructing it. But then at the end, you need to make sure so you bless the house again. I'm not sure if you have to sprinkle blood again or you have to, or if it's a room you do, um, sprinkle rum. Either way, you have to make sure you do it at the end as well because the spirit will stay in the house with you. Um, and so yeah, my aunties at the be- at the um. The beginning of the, the building of their houses, they did that. So they were always known in the family as the practitioners, and it was passed. It was passed on for generations. I don't even know how long it has been passed on, mm. um, but it was always under the quiet. And I, I, I always heard about it, but I never experienced it until this Christmas when my aunt was when my auntie was sick, Auntie Faith, and she said she was going to go to the doctor one Friday. And so I was like, okay, all right, so I'll get her ready, you know, get her clothes ready, get her, um, her, her, her little handbag and her things ready so that she can be ready to go to the doctor in the morning. Um, I didn't think of anything of it. I thought, all right, mm-hmm. so she's going to the doctor to get it checked out. Hopefully they can come up with an answer. Um, she comes home. I asked her how the appointment was. She said it went well. That same night I went to bed, I woke up and I saw somebody standing by my bedside. But I wasn't fully awake, you know, so I was like, okay, maybe I'm seeing things. Mm, maybe, maybe what I'm I seeing is so. not what I'm seeing. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, so, you know, I just closed my eyes and I went back to bed, ignoring this person that, is stand, that was standing in my room. The next morning, I woke up so sick at the exact same place that was hurting my auntie, the, the same foot that was, was giving her trouble, the pain in her foot. I had that same pain. Um, but at that time I wasn't paying any attention to it because I'm like okay maybe this is psychological I wasn't fully you know you know I wasn't um I've been I've been around her for so long that it's possible but then I had a conversation with my cousins in the evening and they told me that she didn't go to a doctor in a traditional um, western medicinal sense she went she went to another kind of doctor, an Obia man. Um, and so, you know, that evening when I saw her, right before I went to bed, when I saw her bathing in oils, it, everything started <laughs> to make sense now. 
That is why mm. after I went to bed, maybe that's why I saw something. Uh, maybe that is why I'm feeling this pain because, you know, this whole thing, and you talked about it before, of backfiring. Obia backfiring. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's how, that is, if, if Obia cannot be defined, that is one of the more um, visible ways in which it can be defined. You know, there's a kind of concept of backfiring that is embedded in it, which is to say that if you are attacked, mm-hmm. And you, are, you have to make sure that the obia that you send out to the person who you are now going to try to um, defend yourself against, you have to make sure that the obia you send out is stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sometimes when you're sending that obia out, people who are in the radius <laughs> can become affected by that. Um, and so that's what happened to me. Um, I, I, and it, it really brought home to me, or drove home to me, how syncretic. Um, and how seamless these women are in their practices because there was no conflict about whether or not, oh gosh, God is going to, God is going to send me to hell. No, there was no, no kind of conflict at all. Mm. And, you know, even a few days later when I found the, the instructions for the, what she should do, it was a, the, the archangel um, Michael. Right, that was sent to defend her and protect her in this obia ritual. This Christian angel. Oh, so right. No kind of, you know, yeah. It's it's not an easy parsing of obia over here, even though we like to believe that, you know. And so that's why I, I agree with you that it's it's hard to separate the two things. Yeah. And more often than not, people draw on them both, especially when they feel that one, you know, one power isn't responding, or you, you know, it's it's delayed, or they need an a more urgent reaction. I mean, hence the syncretic part of it too, right? Because, Uh you know, the same thing happens uh, over in the Spanish-speaking Caribbean with uh, Santeria, right? Where uh, it it is a version of an African-based faith system that gets overlaid with Catholicism, partly because Mm -hmm. of just, like, like, you know, like how the process works, but then also partly because in order to preserve a part of a faith system, you overlay with something that reads as okay or, or kosher to uh, the people in that region. And then given each section, you sort of like see the overlaying there. In <laughs> Jamaica, you have the Christianity. And then also in places like Puerto Rico and the Dominican Republic, you have Catholicism. It's like I see that connection happening there. And <laughs> The amount of days where conversation on fighting Duffy used to be a thing. <laughs> I have temporarily put up my Duffy fighting gloves because McCann Bada. McCann do it. Mm-hmm. No sir. And the there's there there was something in the readings that I was doing for this that referred to the process of wedding up something so similar to the ways that like your aunts wet up the ground with the chicken blood um caribbean christian churches you know taking water and dashing it in places and you know and like wetting up the place Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like that Mm -hmm. connection is there you know Mm -hmm. days back when if me wake up and i feel like i see something in my room the first thing i'm going for is the water get the water take it Mm -hmm. And dash it, and wet up the place, wet up the bed, everything, and we go. Okay, okay, you sit there. That? Get listen. Oh, 
That's so cute. There, there were days when me did a lick satin at the pier, right? Mm. So, mm. Mm. but again, me hung up my gloves permanent, you know, temporarily, because me now have the energy to do my work and to fight the pier. So, mm-hmm. me mm-hmm. make them go on. <laughs> but when me ready, me I tell you no, watch out. Anyway, so, but like that syncretic piece though, so like I, like, there is something witchy about all Caribbeans, <laughs> whether you want to think about it or not, whether you want to go like I, like there is something witchy about it. And then I think we can also look to um, the people who were mentioned earlier today, right? I, I think we were talking about uh, revivalist, right? Uh, in, in Trinidad, some people might call them Shango Baptist or Spiritual Baptist or Shouter Baptist, mm-hmm. right? Like, in Trinidad, too, there was some legislation that was passed against the Shadow Baptists because they would be out in the courtyard, head rapping, colorful, you know, headgear, aguan, and people said they were too loud. But also, like, it's not just about them being loud. It's this disdain for the thing that used to be uh, an African-based faith system that it's okay for Obia to exist as a thing, because of Tacky Rebellion, but it should stay there, right? That we shouldn't be talking about Obia having sort of like a, a lifetime or an afterlife beyond Tacky's Rebellion. You know, Obia should have served its purpose. We can appreciate it for launching a rebellion, but, but that's it, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that decolonial process that you were referring to sort of like extends it beyond... Uh, sort of like seeing it as an athlete and moving it into a lifetime sort of area where it's still very vibrant and we're not just feeling the, you know, um, reverberations of something that happened way back when, but sort of like something that is still like alive and breathing. Um, and I find that piece to be, to be interesting. But Jamaican women particularly love to fight Duppy. I don't know what it is. <laughs> love to fight Duppy. But this is a song you must listen to. I you know ask... about Kukudu? Yes. Ooh. Wait, who? Kukudu? Listen. Absolutely. Oh, Me love nice. Kukudu Sati. Yes. Wait, see, continue singing my Miri. Hallelujah. Oh, I do know that song. <laughs> because me just, me just nobody appeared in that man. Because me, I say how 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 come we don't know that song? But it makes sense. No, I want to sing that song, but you know. Yes. So I have one song, Obia Worker. I mean, listen. L- Javante, are you going to sing this for us? Go ahead. Me. <laughs> <laughs> me after, after it, no, I'm going to sing them someday after dark. Uh, oh my gosh. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> yes. You're right. You're right. After you're right. After, you're right. You're right. After sunset, I'm going to sing them songs that be below. You're right. Quick question before, yeah. before we continue to this music piece. With yeah. Javante, with Auntie Faith, you see? What what does she pra- what denomination does does Antifaith practice if applicable? Yeah, um, she's Baptist. Um, mm. we, we've historically been Baptist. Um, so, Same, you know. She, that's that's what. But her the, the kind of Baptist that we are. I, I don't know if it is necessarily important. Maybe it's not. But um, it's always been very 
very uh, strict. It's a very like strict Baptist. Because we, we go to what them call a society church, East Queen Street Baptist Church, mm. one of the oldest churches in Jamaica. Um, and actually, it was never meant for black people to, you know, it was a white people, mm-hmm. white high society elite church. Mm. Um, though, though they do have some linkages to ab- abolition um, at some point in time. But, you know, that kind of uh, way of understanding church, they ca- ho- centuries later, sorry, still are so embedded in the way that we move through the, the structure itself and understand ourselves. So, you know, it would absolutely mm-hmm. be a no-no for her to be a practitioner or t- to partake in it openly. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is something that, you know, she definitely does. So I don't know. I don't know if the secrecy is because of the, her being a Baptist. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. I mean, I think the Caribbean in general is, is very secretive about its connection to Obia, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. even if, like, well, no. <laughs> I, I have to choose my words carefully. <laughs> even if we neglected, right, or were not aware of uh, the sort of, like, revolutionary history of uh, certain sort of, like, Jamaican uprising, insurrections or whatever, and how Obia worked uh, to sort of, like, support and bolster those movements, we would still sort of, like, know that Obia had some deep connection in our history, um, at least because we would acknowledge as a people that there's a reason why this thing keeps coming up, right? And it keeps, mm-hmm. it keeps coming up. So, like, why continue to avoid it? I think there is, to a, a certain extent, like, the, the stigma that comes from the criminalization of Obia. Mm-hmm. Uh, not all, uh, that comes from the criminalization of Obia, which can't be separated from how Christianity criminalizes Obia, right? Like, Christianity at this time is also informing how people are supposed to be living, which is informing moral codes and is informing legal codes, right? So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. all of those things are wrapped up in a way where it's impossible to separate, but to attempt to separate the two means that you have to separate Christianity from legality and legality from uh, colonialism and then colonialism from the project of overlaying an African faith system with Christianity, and if it comes full circle, then how exactly are you supposed to separate them? You're not supposed to. You're supposed to sort of go, this is some messed up, fucked up shit, and I have to hold space for all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think with that, we're ready to go to Obia. Uh, Obia. Obia. <laughs> with that, we're ready to go to music. Oh, my God. Um... I believe for people who have been with this podcast since day one or are just joining, they know that we love to say that culture uh, is is seen and informed by things like music, art, literature, all them things that people are producing. Uh, the you can sort of like put your finger on the pulse of culture by by engaging in those things, and I think the same thing exists with Obi as well. Uh, from this, this is a, a, a book chapter called An Unnatural Mystic in the Air 
uh, people should be hearing Bob Marley's song coming up as well. Uh, Images of Obia in Caribbean Song by Kenneth Bilby. And this is in the book on Obia and other powers. And with music, I think I actually want to start with someone who might not be well known, but Lavender. Maybe all the Jamaican people know who uh, Lavender is. But Lavender is the guy who wrote the song Wild Gilbert, right? Oh, Loving Hair. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, Wild Gilbert, go. Um, wap, wap, oh, Wild Gilbert. Say, <laughs> water come in on me room. I may sweep up song with the broom. The, broom. the little dog laughs to see such sport oh and the dish. Run away, Run away with me spoon. Okay. You want to see me this? You want to see me this? Okay, but wait a minute. Me never yeah. didn't know say I want... Hold on there. Hold on, no, no. Yeah. Y'all, I'm not, I'm not kidding you that this is a song I sang like every single day when I did their primary school. I, but me never didn't know, like... But I didn't know... Hold on. Lord Jesus. Hold on there. <laughs> the connections. Well, I come in my room. Sweep out some with the broom. The little dog laugh. The fish. The little dog what? Laugh. Mm, Fissy such, such spots. And such the dish fun. run away. And the dish run away with the spoon. Yeah. Udo see me dish. Udo see me dish. Anyone want to see me satellite dish? Knife and fork. A fight for visa. Something like that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. All right. Let's get into it. Memories. So I bring up this. This is cultural reference because he has other songs. And there are two songs that mention oil, right? One song called Hurricane Oil, and the other song just called The Oil. Mm -hmm. And in both of these music videos, and I, I, I must say that <laughs> there are some Jamaican artists out here who their music videos, wow, Jesus, we should <laughs> archive that and analyze it because there's something else going on in there. Love it. He's acting like an Obia man uh, who's making and selling oils, right? Mm -hmm. Right, and remember that we're here talking about Obia, and we're talking about the bath, right, from Javante's story, the bath of the oils. Right. Lavender has oils for people that he's selling. So in the song, The Oil, right, specifically, he has an oil that uh, will make your husband stop drinking rum. He has an mm -hmm. oil that will make ugly man look handsome. You have an aisle that will get you a US visa and you have an aisle that will get you a promotion. But there's a very interesting piece that I want to bring up here. And there's this other oil, right, that he mentions. He mentions that there's an oil that makes man stop girly girly. Now, we told y'all that this podcast was oral mix up and blending with a queer twist. And here's where the queer twist comes in, y'all. A oil that man's top girly girly. Could you what you have to say? Okay, okay, but actually, I I know where you're going, but I'm not gonna go there. Wow. For a and and I'll just say it because. Okay, story time. So basically, there's a <laughs> song by Sophia George named "Girly Girly," right? Oh. And. Uh, Sophia George is an amazing reggae uh, artist. I think the 1970s to the 1990s. Um, somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, but but I think I think that's what it is. And Sophia George sings the song "Young Man, You're Too Girly, Girly." Yeah. You just saw what? Yeah. You know. And 
when I when I said when I heard she heard her saying that for the first line, Mister Kosom Auntie Hoshia play one song with say that's shaming uh, men for being uh, effeminate. But then mm. she 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 calls me back and say. <laughs> <laughs> She goes me back and said that's not actually the interpretation of the song and girly girly just mm. means say gyalis. And then the oh. rest of the song, the rest mm. of the song, it says how him have one down there, one up here, one down a nova, one down a veer. And, and I do fundamentally believe that there's a double entendre there. So of I'm not, not going to say this to remove the, the men being effeminate piece. But it was interesting how my aunt was like, girly, girly translates to gallus. Like how we would say, oh, somebody at gallus right about now. Wow, I like that. Some intergenerational gaps in knowledge going on there of like, (laughs) well, what you say is this, is this over here? I'm still holding on to she'll call him a faggot. I'm holding on to to it. And I don't give a fuck. And that's on what? All right. No, but I, I think, I think, I think it's, but I think there is potential there. You know what I'm saying? There is potential. There is definitely, definitely a double entendre, but I, I, I think, I think it, it's, it's. Mm, I'm interested to exploring and tracing girly girly. To be honest, I'm here for that. Where's a Javante? No, I was just saying the same thing. I think that's a very, very interesting point because. I um I didn't think of that song that way before, um, but I didn't pay attention to the lyrics. So the the fact that you're saying one down here, one down here, here and there is making me think differently. Mm. That's very interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I for, I love that song low key. Um, because like she's just like one is a liar, one is a doctor, one is working like a contractor. It's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's so cute. You but, but, really love this song. But, but I will also say that um, to 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 Robert's point of calling him a faggot um, <laughs> is is that like us faggots? <laughs> I'm gonna stop saying. <laughs> but, but but like. <laughs> But like oftentimes when we are um oftentimes to, 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 to characterize our queerness, people would sort of like have this criterion that says like, <coughs> Oh, I'm a fish because I'm I'm there on Olipa woman and you know there with none of them. Like you love girl company so much, basically. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. song saying how oh, he has one down there, one up here, one up here, yes, could be interpreted as Imagialis, but also could be a, a, a way of saying, Oh, I'm there on girl company enough time. Which mm-hmm. would is which is another way of saying that like, oh, he's a gay. It totally is another way of saying he's a gay. But at the same time, given the, the, the function of heterosexuality and heteronormativity, mm-hmm. for a man to be around a lot of women can only be in his favor until it's not. And I think that sort of like flip happens when society has deemed you a gay before you're connected to other mm. women. But we don't need to talk about my childhood. Uh, we need to go back to this point because no one said I was a gallus and I want to know why. Um, Maybe I gallus. Somebody can't tell me nothing. <laughs> what we don't lose is the fact that he has all these oils, right? And that. The, the, the Obia worker was out there, a person in the community who could also give people what they were looking for. Um, 
And, like, that's... And we have that, and we know that, so to speak, because he gave us the song. Not only did he give us the song, he gave us two songs, right? One just Isle General, and then the other one, Hurricane Oil, because in times of hardship, right, he's saying in uh, the, the Hurricane Oil song that he's giving people uh, oil... So that, so that they don't have to wait in line for bread. Or oil so that they, you know, can replace their furniture, right? Like, people in hardship are coming to him, uh, or the proverbial Obia man, uh, because he has the thing that is going to make their life better. So, so we get that from, from music. But this other guy, everybody knows. Um, and his name is none other than Bob Marley, and Bob Marley has an interesting connection to Obia that I didn't know about until I was also reading, um, you know, Bilby's chapter. And I'll get into it, but before we get there, I think that a lot of people know Bob Marley as a Rasta. And I think to sort of like hear Rastafarianism being put in the same conversation as Obia... Uh, for a lot of people might go, I can see a direct link between the two of them, but that's not what Rastafarians think, and they probably will curse you for absolute filth if you think that you're going to be able to, you know, connect the two of them. Because Rastas are out here referring to Obia as a false superstition, mm-hmm. but also are not being seen in the godly sense of Christianity, right? So it's like, if Rastas are sort of like society rejected by Christians, and Obia people are rejected by Christians, is it not just some sort of like oppression Olympics going on between the two of them? Because they're sort of kind of in the same boat. Just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think Rasta is more, what do I call it? No, they're more explicitly... Uh, and 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 I I think their positions have changed in a sense, um, mm. which is not to say that they've completely changed, but Rasta, especially post Black Power movement in Jamaica, um, post you know eighties seventies, um, kind of has come to enjoy a more favorable reception, even though that that favor is in itself problematic because there's a way in which mm. Rasta is held up and sexualized and um, mm-hmm. racialized in a particular way to, mm-hmm. rep- to, to represent Jamaica as, a, um, you know, this place where there is no problem, man, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not, a complete, it's not a complete 180, but it is, uh, they, they have experienced some kind of positive shift. Obia has not. Um, and so I mm-hmm. wonder, you know, I wonder what, how, how that impacts Especially because there aren't particular practitioners of Obia to which one could point to say um, these practitioners of Obia are so and so and so and so. Mm-hmm. You know, I wonder how the call or the the marking of themselves against this thing that can never be fully pinned down is a way for them to think of themselves as more um, kind of... Uh, more real, more legitimate, right? Mm-hmm. As opposed to this, this Obia thing that 
you, you literally cannot point. There's no churchophobia. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe <laughs> <laughs> no institution um, towards which one might point. You know, I wonder how that functions to to create them as legitimate and and obia as kind of not just not just evil but also um, kind of silly and 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 ambiguous and 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 so on. But yeah, I I I I I think the Christianity part is interesting. I don't know if I would necessarily think of it as oppression Olympics, but I do think there's a part of that in it. You know, there's this sense of wanting to name oneself as more legitimate, as a as a as a more upsta- outstanding or more what's the word I'm looking for? A more yeah, a more legitimate citizen, right? Mm-hmm. So, and, and especially because Obia is a criminal act, I, I, I for one think it is not just that Obia is something that is spiritually evil, but Rasta, you know, the history of Rasta as something that has been marked as a criminal, you know, there were massacres in, in the name of Rasta. Um, or against Rasta, should be more specific. Mm-hmm. There, were, there were massacres from the state, you know. I, I wonder how, because Obia is still illegal, Rasta wants to mark itself as legal. So I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you, I'm just marking Yeah. I, I feel there's two things happening. There is a want to see themselves as spiritually legitimate, but also I think legal, leg- legally legitimate. Um, against Obia that is illegal and you know needs to always be opposed in a particular way. Mm. Yeah, you know the <clears throat> the um, I think there's an irony that exists between sort of like Bob Marley who popularizes Rastafarianism so much so that we have white people out here locking their hair. Don't do that. Is it locking? Um, <clears throat> Is that what you're going to call that process? I... Uh, you really going to call that locking? Don't insult the lock people then. Come on. Wow, I said lock people. Is that a thing? That's not a thing. That's not a thing. <laughs> but you know, we're making it a thing. Um, I think that there's an irony that exists between Bob Marley, uh, who, who popularizes Rastafarianism, and this deep connection <clears throat> that people are talking about. So there, there's an actual uh, interesting footnote that I read that leads to this piece that I'm not sure a lot of people know of, which is just a reminder, people. If you're not reading your footnotes, then what are you doing? Um, So this one just reads, Despite the widespread depiction of Obia by Rastafarians as a false superstition, it is clear that Marley felt that the spiritual powers associated with the term were real and that such powers had affected his life in important ways. For example... Sources close to him say that he often expressed the feeling that he had been led to marry his wife, Rita, and was unable to split with her definitively, only because an Obia woman had spiritually tied him to her, right? So, that's the thing from from people who are out here uh, doing biography on Bob Marley's life. We're documenting that connection that he spoke about often. Um, A connection that he also brought into the things that he uh, sang. Uh, So, the connection is there. (laughs) And I think that, again... Well, I'm not going to say it again. Y'all know culture, music, connection... 
pulse of what's going on. All those words there. Let's move on. Because we out here living a real long <laughs> life on this one talking of Obian. And I think the really interesting sort of like gendered perspective of this comes in when we get a little bit more specific, right? Because I think so far we, we've, we've talked about Obia uh, as like this elusive thing that's sort of like hard to track, is constantly changing given sort of like the context uh, of any given situation, island, people, period of time, uh, legal classification, etc., uh, we've talked about it in terms of it being sort of like charms and 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 magics and you know whatever, but there's more to it um, because when we were sort of like thinking about well how do we add the queer twist to the Obia piece, it's kind of really hard to be able to do so right, and it's 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 hard to be able to do so for the sole fact that. Uh, there aren't people who are sort of like identifying themselves as practitioners in the same way that there are people who are identifying themselves as practitioners of voodoo uh, and candomblé and santeria. Um, so actually, to, to, to queerify this section, we're looking to those other African uh, syncretic faith systems to elicit this sort of like queer critique um, of Obia as well. So... That was like my little something there. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think, yeah, I thought I, I in addition to what you're saying, um, you know, uh, just to go back to the very, one of the very first documents in which Obia becomes um, kind of created or not created, but conjured on the page becomes visible mm -hmm. to colonial imagine, um, col the colonial imagination is with Nanny, Nanny of the Maroons, right? And mm. how they describe her, it's very gendered, it's very sexed, right? And so what they refer to her, not only do they refer to her as the rebel's old Obia woman, but they also characterize her as unsexed and more mm. bloodthirsty than Maroon men, right? So there's a way in which Nanny here, one, she's unsexed, which is to say that she's this kind of uh, as opposed to the juxtaposing her against what, what what they might think about white women as kind of virtuous, mm. Um, mm -hmm. pure, virginal, you know, kind of open to any kind, not open, but kind of purposed for in their imagination. Mm. Sex, right? Here is this old, black, um, enslaved figure who is marked as unsex because she's marked as manly. She's marked as queer in a, in a kind of way, right? She's marked mm -hmm. as almost... And, and, and scholars have talked about this as well, the kind of ways in which Nanny kind of uh, takes on a kind of dykish, um, uh, very queer, masculine um, form in the colonial um, imagination when Obia comes up, right? So, mm -hmm. so I think there's a way in which Obia in itself, in its very inception, it's very tied to gender because what how, how the colonials are understanding Obia is through what they've seen in Europe with witchcraft, right? And how the witch in Europe was represented was as an old woman um, and as an old woman who was sapping the kind of 
energy of everybody around her the family mm-hmm. you know she was she basically she was no longer useful she was no because she was old she was not seen as sexually desirable because she couldn't work anymore she was seen as draining the economy so in all ways and forms she was seen as a degenerate as outside of the society um, not just because she was a practitioner but because of how they represented her as a kind of ultimate outsider um, and so we have that same thing being transported across the Atlantic into how Obia is being understood, um, especially when it has to do with Obia women as old, as unsexed, and sometimes as manly. Um, mm. And so we have that perception that, that, that transcends, um, you know, spaces. But then we also have um, within the practice itself, I think, space in which people are moving across gender. Um, and it's not just Obia, right? Especially because Obia sometimes or often draws on certain religious practices that are from, or not religious, but spiritual practices that are from um, various parts of the African diaspora, um, including um, Yoruba practices. A lot of those practices, um, a lot of those practices kind of frustrate any idea of what we think of as Western gender norms, right? Yeah. Not, you you mm-hmm. can't, and if you even look at the way that Obia men or women are represented, or even the way that they will dress, um, and understand their, um, the ways that they, um, they dress, it is, it, I, I believe there's some kind of queerness to that, you know, there's a way that that is queer. And, <laughs> you know, just to, to wrap it up, um, to bring it back to to contemporary moment, mm. a few years ago there was a very very famous Obia. I don't know if you guys heard about this in Saint Catherine. There's a very famous Obia man who was also gay, um, mm. and he was very very powerful. Everybody hated him, and apparently <laughs> <laughs> everybody hated him. And apparently he had. Uh, and this is I don't know if this just actually appeared in the newspaper, but apparently he had. Um, he had died and come back before, but but um, people hated him because you know not only be, I think I personally think partly because he was queer, uh, but they also just generally thought he was evil. He was an unkind person, um, and so I was very interested in mm. that story because um, I do believe that one of the things that comes with if we're thinking about opposition like binary oppositions and the ways that people mark Christianity as as good as upstanding as progressive mm-hmm. yeah the, the kind of gender the ness of christianity is one again that is a, um or the christianities that jamaica um largely uh, partakes in you know those christianities are very strictly gendered they're very very strictly gendered and sexed right but we don't have those same rules in obia you know and so I wonder in the kind of juxtaposition of Obia, of Christianity, sorry, as it's like strictly gendered thing, and then Obia as its opposite, um, which I think is how people see it, that there is some potential for movement. Um, again, I don't know enough about practitioners, you know, I don't know any yeah. practitioners personally, <clears throat> but I, I, I think there is room for movement and, and space for movement and queerness, um, as there is in Revival. I have a friend who... Um, who studies revivalism and 
talks about how mo- how queer revivalism is, you know, especially when mm. people are are tarrying in the spirit and are traveling, um, and various spirits are mounting them. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a there's a yes. queerness. There's a queerness to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same thing that happens in 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 voodoo, also, right? There mm-hmm. was this. Uh, I, I think this is also a book chapter that I pulled. Uh, Children of the spirits uh, in queering Creole spiritual traditions. This is by Randy uh, Lunshine Connor and David Sparks, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they talk about the mounting piece, and we love a good mounting. Um, mm-hmm. but sort of like how oh. it's <laughs> baby girl. Of course we have to return to this section on a good little mounting, but like yeah. the mounting Ooh. takes on a certain type of gender piece. And and Javante, to your point, the it in order to like engage in the study of things like voodoo, contemplation, santeria, obia, etc., you really do have to just release yourself of the understanding of gender conceptions yes. and kind of just go, whatever you're saying, I'm documenting and I will try to make sense of it later. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, being possessed, right, uh, or, or doing the writing, the, the possessing spirit in, in, in a voodoo is, is uh, referred to as the writer. And they're seen as the man, right? Uh, and then I'm also sort of like coding the man to equal the dom. Um, and then there's the person who's being mounted or possessed who's being referred to as a wife. Um, and then I'm also coding the wife as the sub. But then... Given sort of like how gender complexity can function in these Afrosyncratic faith systems, a goddess who can be the possessing spirit and doing the writing can also be the husband, and the man who she's mounting is then the wife, right? So I I mm-hmm. I think that you know. Mm-hmm. Being rode, which, <laughs> wow, listen, being rode, uh, can lead to an expansion of gendered roles and engendered dress because how you get rode or who rides you, uh, will dictate, uh, in some instances, who you, uh, who, who, who you present as. And I think that we have a really interesting story. Uh, around this, you want that, to? Let me go put that pomegranate profile. If you <laughs> if if can't mount me, don't try it. So. Oh my god. <laughs> Period. 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 Honestly, I just kidding. Continue. Because right. I was going to say some things, but I'm like, I'm going to shut my mouth right now. <laughs> no. Shut my mouth right now. <laughs> no. Um, but, but to that story that, um, Robert, you're just referencing, and you know, interestingly, um, Javante, you're the one who really exposed me to Zora Neale Hurston. Um, I like if y'all follow Javante, you know Javante posts about some of the things that he reads, and oftentimes he'll read to us. It's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, Get Javante an audiobook subscription right now. All right, like honestly, you need to. That needs to be a thing. Marlon James, let me get his number. Oh my and, god. Like, let me, let me oh my god. Could you read book. a brief history of Seven Killings as the odd... Ot- 
Listen, uh, I'm calling Marlon right now. Right now. Because um, also there's a queer aspect in that book too. Where oh, the end. He's, okay. he's slick because he made us wait all the way until the end. But it's alright. It's alright. Let me read it too. <laughs> no, but but like when when you posted about Zora Neale Hurston, I was just like, alright, let me go see who this person is. Oh my gosh. Amazing woman. Amazing people. Like, amazing pieces of work and interestingly enough as i was preparing for this episode um somebody was just like have you read tell my horse and i was like some t- some uh, some parts of it like i've read bits and pieces somebody like, yeah, okay my my one of my close friends um, <laughs> one of my like, close friends <laughs> was like have you read this? Um, and then I was like, but the interesting part that Robert is referring to um, and would love your thoughts on this, Javante, is the piece where um, the, the, the spirit, uh, mm-hmm. D-Day, has mounted a woman. And this is Zora Neale Hurston talking about our, uh, um, a particular woman um, mm-hmm. in, in Haiti. Um, and yeah, how a lesbian, uh, right? A, a, a lesbian, right? Um, yeah. And a woman. So it reads: a woman known to be a lesbian was mounted one afternoon, right, um, mm-hmm. by the spirit Gide. The spirit uh, announced through her mouth: "Tell my horse, I have this woman repeatedly. I have told this woman repeatedly to stop making love to women. It is a vile thing, and I object to it. Tell my horse that this woman promised me twice." Twice that she would never do such a thing again, but each time she has her, she has broken her word to me as soon as she has she could find a woman suitable for her purpose. But she has made love to women for the last time. She has lied to Gide for the last time. Tell my horse to tell that woman I am going to kill her today. She will not oh lie God. again. Oh my god. I know, right? The woman pranced and galloped like a horse to a manga tree, uh, climbed it far uh, among the top of the limbs, and dived off and broke her neck. Um, Mm -hmm. And I... First, it's it's important to note that, like, when folks are referencing this book in the... Referencing this piece in the book that Robert just mentioned, uh, Children of the Spirits, or the chapter that Robert mentioned, it's very... It's noted that this is, like, a rare occurrence, right? That, like, oftentimes this is... Well, many... This is is just not the case. This was a very rare and unfortunate um, uh, occurrence that had happened when somebody was being mounted and there was this sort of spirit saying, you need to stop being a gay... Um, and and it, it, I think it's such a very important part here uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, my first piece on this is like, this is one of those moments where I think in, throughout the book, like one of the only moments where like queerness is sort of like directly addressed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and uh, first of all, the fact that Zora Neale Hurston uh, capitalized the L in lesbian, big. Um, but but we, we love that for her. Um, but 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 the here is a spirit that doesn't um, that doesn't that, that objects to uh, this woman uh, making love to other women here in Haiti, and and it it her punishment. Uh, quotes, I don't want to say punishment, but her sort of like the result of that is being mounted to your death so to speak. Mm-hmm. Can, 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 tell us a little bit more about like what jumps out um, for you when, when this 
when when I assume well, you you kind of reference this book first. So like, talk, 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 yeah. talk. What you think? Yeah. Yeah. Me say like, say, if you read the book, like, say, I never you tell me about the book. Uh, <laughs> no, that moment was very very um, dramatic to read, and my, actually one of my um, the one of my advisors who works on Haitian um, voodoo as well as um, black feminisms. You know, she is. She has read Tell My Horse, of course, numerous times. And, mm-hmm. you know, this is one of the passages that she comes back to time and time again. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it is a very traumatic passage to read. It's a traumatic passage for Zora to write. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is one that, at the same time, we need to look at with a critical eye. Because anthropology um, is never, as much as it, <laughs> as much as it tries to think of itself as empirical mm-hmm. <laughs> it's never that you know um, it is never empirical it, it, it can only approach the empirical it can only come so close mm-hmm. but it is but but it, it will never um, you know despite what one might think of as objective it will never fully achieve that um, and so I think we have to be critical of Zora sometimes <laughs> you know <laughs> even some of her descriptions of Jamaica we have to be critical as much as we love her i love zora she's mm-hmm. my favorite anybody asked me who i would like to have dinner with throughout history it's zora zora mm-hmm. who told i don't remember who she told somebody in paris i'm thinking it's another writer but she told him to kiss her black ass because they um they disrespected her in a cafe and you know she was just a, such a very spirited person so i really mm-hmm. do love her but this moment in the text is one that i'm like hmm mm-hmm. Um, how might I read this differently, you know, because for me, you know, Zora is trying to, 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 to create a perception of what is happening here. You know, she says a woman known to be a lesbian was mounted. Um, mm-hmm. And so, and, and then she goes on to say, tell, the spirit says, tell my horse, I have told this woman repeatedly to stop making love to women. I'm not sure if that is an indictment on lesbianism. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm wondering what else is happening here. Um, so I actually more... have something. Um, so I mean, like, because Zora Neale Houston is that bitch, um, <laughs> she's Period. really out here in the scholarship all the time. So this is other book, Queering Black Atlantic Religions, Transcorporeality in Can- uh, Candomblé, Centuria, and Voodoo by Roberta Strongman. Mm-hmm. And there's a section... Yes. I'm not going to read the entire thing, but like there, there are two lines in this thing on page 41 uh, that I wanted to read. Given the thematic and narrative location of the scene, we could argue that the axis of the book is lesbian and that Tell My Horse is non-heteronormatively centered. So that's one piece. And the second piece uh, is sort of like two lines. The death of the lesbian is a literary cliche of the times point one in mm. you know in terms of critique of Hurston and it may have been the only way in which such a representation would have endured editorial censorship so that's mm-hmm. sort of like critique and context mm-hmm. and in this last mm-hmm. piece nevertheless it remains important to note that it is spiritual infidelity mm-hmm. not exactly. necessarily homophobia which mm-hmm. prompts the Loire 
to kill exactly. her horse. Exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say. That it, it seems to me like there is some kind of betrayal that is not necessarily about whether or not this person is having um, relations with women, but more mm-hmm. so that the, at the, an instruction was not followed. Mm-hmm. Um, and right. The instruction was, for whatever reason, it might have been for you know so, some kind of prosperity or some whatever the case may be mm-hmm. um maybe this maybe maybe Gide wanted this person to do a particular thing in order to achieve something and and this person was not um adhering mm-hmm. to that so that's how i read it um and i and, and i'm very happy that you brought up that citation thank you so much for that because mm-hmm. Udo, i think is also one of those spaces that moves fluidly and, and, and that allows for fluid movement. Um, yeah. But Zora herself was very, very um, also impacted by this because, you know, mules come up a lot in her work mm-hmm. constantly. Um, and she even goes on in um, Their Eyes Were Watching God to say that it's women who is the mule of the world. That right? book Black changed women. me. I'm just mm-hmm. a side. Like, I. <laughs> I think I tell Robert about that. I think about this book a lot and I sit beside it every day now because because of that line, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, sorry, mm-hmm. continue. But like that, no, yeah, yeah. It, it was just... Ugh, Jesus. <laughs> I agree. And so it's, it's, it's that moment in Haiti where this black woman is being ridden by the spirit um, that she kind of marks as a moment of horror mm-hmm. that, that, that announces or um, inaugurates that moment in... Um, her, her, their eyes are watching God, where she says, "Black women is the mule of the world." Mm-hmm. Right. So, so I think it's an important. It's still very, as the the writer who you read, Robert, um, points out, it is still very. I think very queer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a very queer moment, but yeah. it is one that we. I think we have to make sure that um, we, 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 we pad it with a lot of context. Yeah. I agree, and I like. I think the wording, just just like my my piece, the wording is also important, right? Like I think that for me, when he says like, "Tell my horse, I have told this woman repeatedly to stop making love to women," like mm-hmm. it didn't. If somebody were to tell me that now, I wouldn't necessarily interpret it as as like, "Oh, this person is being queerphobic or or homophobic." Mm-hmm. This person is telling me to stop being. Uh, 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 promiscuous, essentially, right? Like, like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thinking of like mm-hmm. how I would read that if somebody were to say it to me, and like that wouldn't tell me, like I wouldn't necessarily say, oh, Kadim, stop, lo- stop making love to men. Like for me, that would just be my friend telling me, Kadim, stop being a whore, right? <laughs> like, like, like that was the first thing that stood out to me. The other piece was like, uh, to to highlight the whole spiritual infidelity, of course, is the. Uh, uh, hold on. Um, tell my horse that this woman promised me twice that she would never do such a thing again. And the such a thing is is still making love to women, like the act of sex. Like, is there some boundary that was established between Gide and this mm. woman to say that, like, listen, I know you're attracted to women. Live your best life, sweetheart. But here's what, what I, I don't want you to do. I don't want you to make love love the making love how we understand it is not oftentimes go sit on a uh uh go kneel down and marry the person right like making love is like oftentimes interpreted as the act of having sex um and again it begs the question of like is this a word for word thing that um was said 
uh, it was it like mm-hmm. stop fuck the woman them and Zora mm-hmm. Neale Hurston just did I say let me just say making love like there are just so no. many questions <laughs> that I just feel like it bring it highlights more uh, that spiritual infidelity that Robert uh, uh, cited just now um, more of like a, a promiscuous thing rather than like a don't be attracted to a woman right because I mean, mm-hmm. if you like say Gide did want to say stop being attracted to woman Gide would ask you so Mm-hmm. Well, um, I. Why are we about to go off on this? But because <laughs> I feel it coming, I I have a few questions, right? I I think that th- there's an assumption that I'm making because I'm reading this in English, right? What translation mm-hmm. work had to happen true, true. in mm-hmm. order for us to get the passage that we're able to read now as mm-hmm. like one piece? But then to sort of like as like a a counterpoint to, you know, your point, Kadeem, I would, I know, (laughs) I would also want to introduce the fact that there are linkages between promiscuity and being queerphobic, right? That Mm -hmm. communities have seen queer folks as overly promiscuous. Let's couple that with blackness, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Especially black women and and sort of like seeing how... uh, uh, sort of like the 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 process of creating uh, a sort of like understanding of blackness also overlays a queerness that is not necessarily specific mm. to how we understand queerness and then also a promiscuity that is bound up also in the conversation on queerness that mm. is laid over the black women. So that's one thing. Of like two pieces to yeah. sort of like hold while also thinking about how this entire sort of like conversation on Zora Neale Hurston's Tell My Horse has been one massive exercise in expanding <laughs> how we approach one text. It makes me think about how we also tried to expand a reading um, of Sodom and Gomorrah, mm-hmm. right? A few episodes ago where... There, there are, are scholars out there who are saying the act of homosexuality was not the issue, right? But in, in this case, it was actually sort of like sexual misconduct. The act that sort of like brings destruction upon Sodom and Gomorrah, we only know this because we see a similar version of this happening later on, has to do with inhospitality, sort of like to put it lightly, right? So I think that the same way in which uh, there is a command, sort of like in the world before and of the Bible, to be hospitable to the stranger. There was a command between this deity uh, and, well, Mininofa deity, a spirit. spirit. Uh, <laughs> one spirit, and Uma who did a get ride, mm-hmm. that, you know, whatever the translation of this text is to the Bible's translation of hospitality w- was broken. Um, so I think if we're sort of like in the business of expanding the narratives, that we can make that connection too. Um, yeah. And I think as we continue to normalize the connections between how we see scholars commenting on biblical text and how we see scholars commenting on texts like this mm-hmm. allows for sort of like a a normalization of how we can sort of like ebb and flow between the thing that is Christian and what seems to be its opposite, which is not really its opposite. There there are so many things that yeah. I want us to be able to touch on, but like we're also here for like a very long time. Um, so I think there are just two pieces that I want us to talk about. I promise I'm coming to an end. Um, I promise. 
<laughs> but I promise is conferred to a fool your school. I'm hungry. Miss sorry, Miss sorry, Miss sorry. Spiritual possessions, right, have this way of regendering women that I think is really interesting into a masculine form. And there, there are two things that sort of like regender uh, women that we see in this Corey in the Black Atlantic uh, section. The first one is smoking <laughs> cigars. I had a friend who I'm not going to call. <laughs> but he knows who he is, and I might text him to come listen to this one second. Come, may I chat him over a woman? Mm-hmm. Um, may I call her name? Because her name called Marie. So, he told me that in the days when Marie was working over and was smoking the cigar, she was a powerful bitch. Powerful! But since now, she stopped smoking the cigar, but she now smoked the cigar no more, right? Uh, I can't remember if it, it if it was in the Strongman text or, or if it was in the Connor and Sparks text that talks about how uh, women smoking cigars, is, especially given the time, sort of like brings on this masculinity piece onto them. Uh, but then mm. there's this other part of in spiritual position where like we're playing around and essentially fucking with gender at this point. Um, and in certain uh, spiritual possessions in voodoo, Sometimes women are let to take on masculine forms and will actually gallop around uh, with a piece of wood that's carved into the shape of a penis in between their legs, right? So, like, mm-hmm. not only is there sort of, like, the, the gender complexity in being rode or, or riding mm-hmm. somebody, not only is there the, the, the gender complexity in sort of, like, dressing differently or taking on more masculine forms, there are sort of, like, the pieces to uh, embodying this. And what I found to be ultimately interesting is that uh, there are a lot of queer people, uh, specifically to the to the voodoo context, that are practicing voodoo and find voodoo as a space of liberation mm-hmm. for queer people in Haiti. There's an article that came out a while ago, I think maybe 2015 or 2017, in a magazine, McCann member, but the, the title is something along the lines of uh, queer or like LGBT Haitians find solace in practicing voodoo. And it sort of like talks about it, what Uno can read. Um, we'll cite it for y'all in our description, don't you worry. Will we? Um, <laughs> but there are entire houses where they're all gay. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! Like entire house in entire houses where they're all gay, but there are also ceremonies within voodoo that require women to be present. And I thought the gag among gags was that you needed uh, an all woman, probably all lesbian, you know, counterpart because if you need to go borrow somebody from the other house, you could come over and have she come and be a part of the ceremony. So this is a really interesting space where we're seeing uh, the Caribbean uh, spaces existing as sort of like needing this... uh, needing to hold on to each other in community, but then sort of like allowing for all queer spaces to exist mm-hmm. subtly. I think that's fantastic. I think it's queer. Me too. Mm-hmm. Me too. And and it's and I think even more importantly, it is a kind of queerness that is a 
and I use this word very loosely, but it is it is indigenous, you know, it is not necessarily mm. imported, you know, because and that's one of my one of the things that I'm kind of working on in mm. my work as well is thinking about what does queerness look like on the ground, um, even though you know we live in a world where we are always uh, we are almost always already connected to each other, mm. but what does queerness look like? in particular form, which I think is a, you know, I think one of the kind of like <laughs> big questions of this podcast as well, right? Mm-hmm. What does it look like for the Caribbean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is one, um, that's one way that it presents itself. Um, so I'm very excited about that, you know, that that mm-hmm. is a queerness that is grounded in what it means to be Caribbean. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I argue that as a Caribbean person, you're immediately queer and that's it. Period. <laughs> like, true. That is, that is something scholars talk about too. Um, blackness as a kind of queerness. The, the, I mean, <laughs> yes, yes. Blackness <laughs> is definitely a kind of queerness. I, I think it would be like. I think there's like one like powerful piece that we we have sort of like been alluding to this entire time that we've been talking. Uh, but I think that a part of the power that comes with uh, or, or or feeds the sense of fear and awe around the Obia man uh, in, in certain cases that maybe doesn't translate necessarily well is that I think that power also translates to protection. Uh, and when queer folks, when, when, when queer bodies take on whatever sort of like Afrosyncratic faith system in this context, when, when they take that on, it, it offers them some power and it offers them some protection. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that we can see the protection sort of like best shown uh, when looking at uh, Santeros people who are practicing Santeria. Uh, and it's like a quick little snippet about how there are people in the Bronx, shout out to the Bronx, uh, who are drag queens, who are working the obra, right? Which the is like obra? a prayer, yeah, the obra, oh. a prayer or, or offering in Santeria specifically. And because the, the, the drag queens specifically, because of how they sort of like fuck around with gender, they're seen as very skilled diviners, diviners right? So much so that straight men who know that they are drag queens who also uh, are like really skilled in divinity will watch it when they're around them. And I think that like out of this entire thing, we sort of like see historically maybe uh, if we, you know, no, yeah. We historically see Obia, I believe honestly through this conversation as something that has been liberatory and offered emancipation some freedom and some healing i really do believe that like this bow that it's wrapped on 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 obia and other powers uh offering queer people this sort of protection is a powerful piece and and that the the solace that folks can get from existing in those spaces is something that we really don't get in many spaces um, the thing that is inherently queer about this, I think, is also inherently powerful as well. Mm-hmm. That was so beautiful, Robert. I know, thank I you. I thought of it myself. <laughs> Shut up. Get out of here. So I think it's time to stick a pin into where we are for now. 
For now. Yeah, for now. Um, I, before I go into that stick up in, I want to offer Javante some space. If there's anything regarding this entire topic that we've been talking about that you definitely want to like at least put forth as your last word. It's okay if not, um, but it's okay if it is. <laughs> if you want to put anything as your last word. Um, <laughs> I, I, don't, I honestly don't have much. I think we talked about a lot and I'm very grateful for this conversation. Um, mm. You know, if I were to end with anything, I would say that Obia is a complicated, complex um, practice, you know, that mm -hmm. is never... It's, 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 it's never going to be defined, so just forget about it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Honestly. Just forget about defining it and, and, and think more about what does it mean in a particular moment, um, what meanings does it take on based on those who are practicing it, those who are in power, um, and those who are receiving its effects. Yeah, other things to think about, but yeah, I, I I think those would be my closing words about Obia. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Obia stronger than other people. Obia, if they're going to practice. <laughs> <laughs> Have your Obia lift weights. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. No, but that's the No, I mean that that's great. I I mean I to your point, Obia uh, like me just feel like someone continuously say Obia asked the question where you know about me, right. and uh, I, I I'm gonna stick to that for the, for a very long time. But like I think oftentimes, what does it even mean that on this podcast we're talking about this, right? Like it, what sparked our curiosity. Um, as Caribbeans to talk about this this obvious this thing that like one I don't think a lot of us even get the description or the the piece on like how queer obia can be at, at its uh, at our very introduction to it um, and like I'm hoping that this conversation has allowed us all in all our listeners to sort of think about like how uh, obia permeates in like our lives whether or not we think it's a thing or whether or not we they, like oh it's, whether or not we dismiss it as just evil or opposite to christianity um it begs the question of like how many or how rather have we <laughs> uh perpetuated aspects of obia that may that we may not be aware of right like if, mm. if it's the throwing of the rum somewhere to appease the spirits or if it's something and, and, and that's that's that could be that could not be but like how are some of our practices and ideas rooted or practiced in ways that we may not necessarily be aware of um and and what are the aspects of african spiritual traditions as a whole that we've been sort of like internalized and we've taken in or taken on as christianity um that we that we practice but may not necessarily know that this is how we're doing it that this is a part of african spiritual traditions um and i think yeah. overall i think for me queer like the last thing i would always ask is like obia being obia and all african spiritual uh, traditions being like this mode through liberation one uh, and healing two even though those two things are like very much intertwined with each other um, and how how these things uh, how, how can Obian African spiritual traditions be a part of this movement that we have or this idea of seeking liberation as well as healing from 
the traumatic years of colonialization um colonization um yeah so that's what i think i'll stick that pin with period and, and just, to, just to um just to put um to, to quickly add to something you were saying about sometimes mm. not knowing i think that is something that is as 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 frustrating as it might be that is something that is very very productive about obia because mm-hmm. queerness is just like that right it's a mm. it's, it's not something that we can easily pin down you know there's not one particular kind of way of being queer queer literally means to be situated outside of the norm and mm-hmm. that could be anything at any given point in time what is a norm today could be queer tomorrow um mm-hmm. and so i think what you point what you've pinned down in talking about the not knowing is uh, the ways in which obia mirrors queerness and obia in its structure is queer right it, it you cannot pin it down you cannot define it and that is something that is i, I think um, towards what you're saying about liberation, that is something that we should embrace. That, mm. that need to not always know, right? That need to not mm-hmm. always mm-hmm. have a sense of um, or categorize, you know, and, and to neatly place things in different um, orders, right? Oh, wow. Obia, Obia um, completely frustrates that. So, yeah, thank you for that point. No, thank you for that point. You know why? You can't like, pin it down I, on I'm the sorry, I'm sorry. road. <laughs> <laughs> Stop. No, that that's okay. I won't go into too much, but like I think that's just such a good point, especially like as for many. I know many of our listeners uh, oftentimes like debate these questions of like how queer am I? Like, and even I, as a non-binary person, oftentimes ask myself that question of like. Uh, what does it truly mean and like being and learning how to be comfortable in the unknown um while also just waiting and like being patient with yourself like i think that was such a really good point to end on and like thank you for that so much good girl javante <laughs> no thank you that was that's such a good point javante and listen y'all as we're coming to this close, special thanks to our guest, Javante Anderson. Yes. Who you can find on Twitter <laughs> as Kingston Junkrock. Period. I'm yes. screaming. That's Kingston, J-A-N-C-R-O, Junkrock. Kingston Junkrock. And on Instagram as Negro Whisperer. And I love that. That, that like, listen... Negro Whisperer. Child, you're just coming up just with the like, content, baby. It rolls <laughs> off your tongue in a way that's just like, mm. Imagine, oh my what god. What are you whispering I to really the hope when you get your, your degree, <laughs> that's something you put in your bio with your students. Negro Whisperer. <laughs> yes, please. Like, I'm, I'm just... I'm just doing my job in this world, whispering to the Negroes, you know, translating what they feel in, you know. Um, I, 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 um, I, you know what? Um, Let's go. Javante, thank you for being with us today <laughs> and for entertaining Kadeem's mess. <laughs> While y'all are out there following Goody Anderson, follow us. On social media at Stush and Bush, no D, <laughs> never a D. When Nine quarantine girl, but <laughs> I heard some of y'all were out here in these streets, and I'm telling you, 
fluid transfer transfers coronavirus. Shine. So, uh, mine, me alone. mine your front. Let me I'll live. sit down. Let, let, let me live. <laughs> what, what does song say? Smile away. Smile, Smile a while and give your front a rest. And give your Whoa. face. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Make care, Stop it. Hey, let's see. I want to give you a front arrest and come follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Please, we want to hear your obvious stories. We know you have yes. them. Mm-hmm. Give us the obvious story, them, on everywhere Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Email us at Stush and Bush. There's no D in it. Stush and Bush podcast at gmail.com. We want it right now. Yeah, As the y'all. episode drop, send it. Yes, Thanks. because honestly, y'all, we are in quarantine and sometimes we just want to know if you just, you know, like, give me a little something, you know, like, cuss me out or something, a little, little entertainment in my life, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but really, we definitely would love to hear all your all your stories and thoughts regarding Obi as a whole, because I think it's important that as Caribbeans, we're continuing this conversation. And obviously, Javante love engaging with us, so engage with Javante to one we want. But you can follow this Bush girl, Robert, um, oh my god, what? It's your, yeah, wow, it's fine, girl. Fluidity, oh my god, fluidity. but wait, fluidity, wait, oh wow, we didn't ask the most important question, which is Javante, <gasps> before you leave here today, tell the people, are you a bush gal or a slush gal? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm a I'm a stubush girl. <laughs> you know what? I'll that's, take it. That's the energy. I'll take it. This girl fluidity. But one point five. Stubush. Okay. Oh, I love that one. Stubush. Um, but follow. Please follow me, Kadim the Bush. Girl. The Bush girl. Uh, Thanks. Okay, Kadeem, good. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Kadim, which is K H A D I E M E, and you can find Stush Girl Robert on Instagram at the underscore Bishop twelve. 1222 and 1222 or 1221 you see how you're still it's literally on my nose giving right somebody now. else business i know wow. i know instagram 1222 1221 <laughs> and on twitter at queer that's queer i b granny with an n i e oh that rhymed <laughs> thank you all so much for tuning in and see you at the next episode bye, bye.